Hello and welcome to DigFinVox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy our content, give us a like, subscribe, let the algorithm know and spread the word. My guest today is Stacy Lacey. Stacy is Managing Director and Head of Operations and Technology for Asia at Citi. She covers a wide range of responsibilities across the corporate, investment bank, as well as private wealth. Stacy spoke about dealing with legacy technology and processes, cutting edge technologies, working with fintechs, and what's coming around the corner. Stacy Lacey, welcome to DigFinBox. Thank you, Jim, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Okay, well, great. I'm excited to have you here. Um, you know, you're a very senior person at one of the major banks uh, covering technology and operations for all of Asia. Uh, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit and the remit that you've got now? Yeah, sounds good, Jem. Um, we met actually during COVID, if you remember, and uh, and we were all locked up in the room, um, trying to talk, you know, about digitization and operations and uh, how the life has changed just, you know, in the course of last few months. And uh, I hope you and your family are well. And uh, I am very excited to be here today. Um, I run operations and technology uh, for Citibank here in Asia, covering um, all spectrum of the products um, from our consumer business. Um, to our wealth business, to our institutional business. Now, of course, you're aware that, you know, with our strategy uh, refresh, we are also in the process of divesting, um, you know, some of our key markets right here in Asia as well. And of course, we're in the middle of all of that at a, at a technology and operations angle. Yes. I wanted, that was actually my, my first question was, obviously, you've got so many things going on, but you have been, you know, pivoting away from some of the consumer markets, focusing more on wealth management and the corporate side. Uh, when that, when you're going through such a monumental change uh, from a tech and operations perspective, uh, I guess what's the priority? Well, clients is in the center of all of this, and so you know what we're doing from an institutional corporate perspective, from a wealth perspective, is how do we make sure we stay focused to support our clients? And so therefore, you know, as part of our transformation, you know, as city globally and right here in Asia as well, is looking at what are some of the key strategic priority markets, as well as products that we need to make sure that we service to our clients and how technology is going to enable that. From a consumer divestiture perspective, you know, as you would have seen uh, publicly, we've had some of amazing buyers. And so it is our partnership to work with the buyer as well as their teams uh, at a technology and operation angle on carrying out a smooth implementation and transition um, for our clients to move over to the buyers. Okay, I can see where that would be in itself uh, a universe of work. Um, when we talk about that digital transformation, it's so many things. And obviously City is you know, such a complex organization with so many businesses and so much, so much stuff, uh, volumes, transactions running through, through the pipes. Uh, when we talk about digital transformation, how much of it is starting from infrastructure like cloud uh, and, and governance around that? Or are you beyond that and you're, you're more into the weeds with, with data and, and other issues? 
SageM, we're actually hitting sort of all spectrums, right? Now it starts with the client. So, you know, just a couple of stats for you, you know, uh, just in the last couple of years in 2021, we were able to open, you know, 7,500 accounts digitally, and that's 80% year on year increase, you know, for our institutional clients. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Now, that's, of course, riding the wave of COVID as well. But then if you look at, you know, our traditional, more traditional consumer business, you know, we now have, we now acquire our credit card accounts, two digitally for every three accounts that we open. And so the shift is truly sort of happening. And that's on the client side of things. Operationally, we continue to look for um, straight through processing to help us to make sure that we can touch, you know, once with our clients and complete through the transaction. At a technology and infrastructure level, you know, we are looking at clouds and we haven't been the first adopter, but we're now very much a process of how do we make sure looking at our standard architecture, our future architecture with cloud in mind as well. And we're gearing up our infrastructure towards that. When you, when you talk about that client onboarding process and digitizing that for your corporate accounts, uh, what had to happen for you to be able to do that? What was the, whether it's it's the hardware or the or, or the management, what were the steps that were necessary to get to this point? And maybe then from there we could talk about what's where you're where you're going now. Yeah, Jim, I mean, the most important things, of course, is the voice of our clients, right? Understanding what has been the pain points. Why isn't that easier for them to be able to, you know, be onboarded digitally? So we've done extensive, you know, research and listening to our clients. And then it comes down to the processes and the way that we touch our clients. You know, in the bank as big as we are at City, you know, a lot of the times we could be approaching our clients multiple times for similar but not exactly the same documents. So one of the things that we've done is to make sure that we only touch our clients once, making sure that they have one touch experience, having those documentations, you know, in a way that's convenient for them and not just in a way that's easy for us to process. Um, as where we're going, one of the challenge that we find in the process of digitization is that we actually have to change the process along the way. And it isn't just about making the paper into digital. It is about looking at the client experience and therefore amending our end-to-end -end process to suit what makes sense from a digital perspective. And it's a slight difference, but it's really important. Oh, that's a, that's a fundamental difference. Uh, you're not just replicating uh, a paper-based world and in a one-for-one -one way and making it electronic. But maybe you could explore that with us a little bit as you realize that moving things to an electronic, straight-through processing manner, trying to have that one sign-up for a client, which means that you've got to be able to have data touch points of that client across products rather than just across uh or rather across a client name rather than just across product silos. What was the thinking that went into this and where did you get the, I guess, the inspiration uh, to, to make those changes? Yeah, Jim, you know, you touch on a really important topic and it's something that I'm very passionate about. It's data. Um, you know, in the past, and we've been in this industry for a long time, you know, we've always looked at data as a piece of, you know, bite. And what it is now, it's, it's actually our customer information. It's the asset, you know, of what our customer is bestowing on us. And so as we transition and as we shift, we need to make sure that it starts with onboarding. 
It starts with the trade transactions that we have with our clients and not just trying to correct the data along the way in our various systems or processes as a result. Now, it's simple to say, but it's actually really difficult to achieve because a lot of the times, because of the way that our system are constructed, every point of a system touch is collecting some data. And so how do we calibrate that data? So I know, Jem, you are the client that we wanted to serve at an end-to-end -end basis. And what we're also looking at is, do we have the right source of truth? What we found also is that we had multiple source of truths. And so as our clients onboard different products, he or she might look a little bit different. And we have to change all of that to make sure that our client is synchronous, no matter what touch point he has, no matter what product she buys. How responsive or agile are legacy systems and processes to enable you to make these pretty fundamental changes in how you handle client data? Uh, is there a point where you're trying to transition to new ways of doing things? You, do you have to operate in parallel or are you trying to take legacy servers and setups and, and, and just extend that lifespan for, for another generation? Yeah, Jim, that's a difficult question because it's not a switch on and off and it's not a binary overnight you know, um, evolution. What I would say is absolutely a journey. What we have to, what we have done at City is that for new products that we're setting out or for new services that we're setting out, we are making sure that we do it right the first time. And what we're also doing from a legacy perspective, from some of the systems that perspective is at a point in time where we have that opportunity, we try to consolidate to make sure we use one source of truth. And, and that way we're slowly moving into that single journey rather than you know trying to just touch on everything and boil the ocean because it isn't just you know an overnight success it is going to take time and it's database by database process by process products by products and we've absolutely got the conviction to making sure it's right for our clients and also some of the changes jam as you would know during COVID, is that we now have clients that are very much wanting to be in the digital journey as well so we would have to ride with them and it isn't just such a you know paper journey that they were you know once used to also right so you're it's, you're getting pressure from your your clients that are saying why can't you just you know bada bing bada boom make it happen with a couple clicks right but you know that's right you're not amazon or or a business like that um and obviously you've got um you're not just it's not not just because you're doing something more complicated than e-commerce but also you operate in a heavily regulated environment and those regulations vary from one jurisdiction to another. And in Asia, we have many jurisdictions. Um, how do you, with all of this complexity, this would be a difficult project to do just in one marketplace. Um, how do you manage to try to keep some sort of operational efficiency, some sort of scalability in Asia? What, what's the hardest part and where do you find solutions? Um, so this is also why with City and where we're going from a strategy perspective, we're staying very focused with our institutional clients and with our wealth clients. With that, we have two platforms that we can sort of work through. Um, with our wealth clients, you know, we've always had gotten a very good platform. It's now consolidating all of these platforms into a way that makes sense for our clients as they grow in their wealth spectrum. Um, for, for our institutional clients, you know, some, some of the, the journey I'll tell you hasn't been easy. 
but we've had always very good clients that work with us so that we will work through jurisdiction to jurisdictions and city has also been front and center partnering with you know banks and you know other industry to also make sure we lobby the right you know movement as well as we see other markets you know progress um, in the digitization space what's the if i want to go back to this cloud issue if, if you if, if i may for startups and fintechs, they go straight to cloud or digital neobanks, they'll go straight to a cloud architecture. Um, and from there, it's they can do software as a service, they can do banking as a service, you know, whether they're serving a client directly, or maybe they're, they're a quasi vendor as well. Um, for your perspective, how do you approach this issue of, of this new kind of architecture? Um, you know, what's possible? What's a no go for you? And maybe just give, share us a little bit about where you are with that journey. Yeah, and Jen, this has started the city, you know, for quite a few number of years. So this is not new for all of us. Um, what we've been always doing is looking at, you know, our new services, right? Those new services, those new products, if we can be on cloud, there's absolutely no reasons why we wouldn't, you know, choose that. Then we look at our current stock and, you know, how we process. Some, as you know, are going to be a little bit more heavy on how we can migrate and convert it into a cloud environment. And so we've got a plan in place that's multi-year to actually looking at taking ourselves into that cloud journey. And we're not doing it just because we want to be on cloud. We want to do it so that it gives scalability, it gives the faster response, and it's going to be better for our clients. And that's why we are very thoughtful about it. We may not be the first to go with everything on cloud, but we absolutely have our discipline is everything on cloud and how we sort of engage um, in that with every product that we service, every processes that we now do. The kinds of personalization that, uh, whether it's for any type of client, um, you know, not just the consumer ones, uh, but, but also your important uh, private wealth, how, how important when you go up that, that chain uh, and the clients get bigger, does personalization through technology become uh, less relevant in a way? Is it, is it something that is more relevant for when you're doing a mass business or does it also have a, a role to play in your digital journey? I would actually say it's more important, Jim. And the reason why is because at a click of a button or at a push of a button, you know, our clients now demand to know a lot more information um, instantaneously, right? Whether you're an institutional client or whether you're a wealth client. And if our ability is to be able to provide that instantaneously, that would already have that edge. And I think that speed and the availability of that data and giving that wealth of information to our clients is what we're aiming for. And I think that's why now it's so exciting because technology is truly in the center of all of this and not just you know at a sort of afterthought where can you service these plans because data sovereignty laws are becoming um, a big issue in this region uh, and it seems like we're maybe at the start maybe not the end of, of these laws and the enforcement and the guidelines and so on so uh, does that I know you already said that one of the reasons to go more away out of consumer more into institutional was to I guess streamline the, these issues, but still, does that do these does cloud? Uh, sorry, data sovereignty laws in the region. Uh, how do you get a? How do you deal with them? You can't get around them. How do you? How do you deal with them? How do you try to maintain some level of of efficiency? Yeah, Jim, I, I think it's a really interesting topic. In fact, it's an evolving topic because 
to your point, um, almost every jurisdiction is thinking about it. And, you know, we think about data localization. Um, one of the great thing about this particular topic now is that there are technologies available that would allow us to observe these sovereign rules locally and still operate in a you know, streamlined architecture. At City, you know, as part of our transformation, when we think about our strategic um, technology architecture, we put that in place. So how do we codify our rules, our regulation, and then therefore our data as a result? So I think that journey it's a journey, but it's very exciting because if we get it right, we now have the tools to actually help us do that versus in the past, we just were not able to do so and we would have to opt out as a result. Stacey, can you give us a little bit of a sneak peek at what that construes? Because if you're talking about personalization for important clients, that's a lot of personal data. And that's exactly the sort of thing that is now increasingly difficult to you can't export it, you can't store it overseas, you can't process it or, or enrich that data overseas, uh, at least not so easily. So uh, you know, how, how do you get around that contradiction? Yeah, so Jim, of course, we're going to observe our sovereign rules and regulations, right? So the most important thing a lot of the time is making sure that the data continues to remain in the jurisdiction that we you know have businesses with that we serve our clients with that's our fundamental guiding principle and then therefore then how does our architecture working with our various technology new services to make sure that we can do the processing and the speed of which we can do the processing and still have the data remain so i can't share a little bit more but the fundamental guiding guiding principle is that we will have our data locally and we are partnering with you know different sort of technology providers to be able to do that, because this is not just a thing for us at the banking industry to think about, but actually broad, more broadly um, as well. Yes, it affects everyone. Uh, that is a nice segue into uh, a question about how you do partnerships with, with fintechs or, or tech vendors. Uh, obviously, there's always been a procurement process. Uh, you've been at the bank for long enough to maybe have seen some changes or, or perhaps not in, in how that process goes. Uh, can you share with us a little bit about the evolution in terms of how you engage with third parties? Yeah, Jim, certainly. Um, I, I, I think it's a wonderful time, you know, to, to be in the bank because we've got the ecosystem and, you know, we're absolutely looking at fintechs as how do we make sure that we can partner and also offer really, really niche services using the platforms that we have and the ecosystem that we have. So there are a few ways that we're going about it. You know, um, more traditionally, we're actually partnering with FinTech to identify potential leads, identify potential services that we can support our clients. So that's a joint effort that is with our clients. At the city level, of course, you would have heard about, about our innovation labs. And so our innovation labs are always looking at curating new services, new products, and with partnerships from you know, our FinTech partners as well. And then of course, the last one is our city ventures, whereby we will make very thoughtful, but measure investment into some of the FinTechs that potentially city could use, as well as that we see a greater need you know, for the communities that we serve as well. Yeah. How do you engage with the fintechs? How do you know what's out there? Uh, do you rely primarily on city ventures to kind of feed you ideas? Uh, do fintechs come up and just, you know, pitch you directly? Um, and how, how do you how do you figure out what's out there? 
yeah, we, we have it all of that, all of the above, right, Jim? Um, but what we also have is a due diligence process so that we make sure that, you know, it passes through sort of all of the asset tests and that, you know, we are onboarding a credible, um, you know, partner. At the end of the day, we are a bank. And so whatever services that we have, we are still the front facing, um, you, you know, to our clients. And we have to make sure that any, you know, fintech um, um, service provider that we have is a credible one. And so we have gotten a pretty good process in place to make sure we do that due diligence um, uh, on a regular basis. I'm sure. So for particularly for smaller uh, fintechs, but maybe even some of the bigger ones, uh, not not city uh, per se, but large banks in general, they all have this due diligence process, the procurement process, and it can be agony for small businesses because, as you know, I'm sure because because you do have these requirements, uh, it can take a long time, uh, and um, if, if that fintech doesn't have enough funding, sometimes the you know their their funding doesn't last as long as your procurement process, um, or or just market conditions change. So, have you figured out ways to try to uh, smooth that out, shorten those time periods without sacrificing the core needs of your due diligence? I would say the short answer is yes, but the long answer always is it's continuing to be a work in progress. And what I mean by that is that um, what we've done is not all fintech is created equal as of the same size and of the same impact. So therefore, we look at it at a risk-based uh, um, analysis at every point when we are looking at a vintage partnership. And so we have categorized them into different risk level. And so therefore the onboarding requirements as well as the due diligence that we need to have varies as a result. And I'm not just talking about this in the particular market. I'm not talking about this just particularly for the region. It is a partnership across the globe because once again, as we know, fintech now comes from all over you know, the world, and we have to have a very consistent way of looking at them and risk assessing them as we onboard them and partner with them. Can you give us any flavor or any coloring around what are the types of fintech solutions that you're looking for now? Yeah, I mean, you can you can check it out. I mean, it ranges from, you know, the simplest KYC, you know, to our client, know your customer, to very sophisticated, you know, um, documentation screening and having AI and artificial intelligence um, across it. And, uh, and so as we innovate, as we think about different solutions, we're absolutely thinking about how do we make sure we can serve our clients instantaneously um, without, you know, sort of these um, bells and whistles that, you know, in the past, it requires very clunky sort of paper processes. So um, I can't share a lot of them, but it really ranges um, a, a very wide range. When I talk to uh, fintech founders, particularly those that come from banking, um, they might say, and maybe they're being a little cynical, but you know, they will look at a large bank and they'll say, well, if you just implemented, you know, ding, 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 uh, you could get rid of lots of people. Uh, and that, you know, they will say there's resistance in the banks because of that. Um, what's your take on, on that? Is that a fair charge sometimes, or do you think it misses the, misses what's going on? Jim, I think it's a very generic statement. And a lot of the time, what we need to look at, and especially when we partner with uh, FinTech as well, is that end-to-end -end experience. So if we look at only one sliver 
of that potential save, that may be an accurate statement. However, if we have to add before and after, then that isn't, you know, creating less friction for our clients. And so I, I would probably look at it as what is that end-to-end -end journey for our clients and is that better or worse? And as a result, this could be, you know, a savings. But more importantly, it's actually time to market as well as shorten the cycle time for our clients, which is what we're what we're after. Okay. Um, maybe we could, as we come to the end of our conversation, Stacey, maybe we can do a quick tour de raison of some of the major technologies out there that get a lot of attention. Um, we've talked a lot about data, but we haven't talked that much about AI. Um, what, what's probably the most powerful use case for AI right now that you're implementing and where do you see that going? Yeah, with AI, I think it's still to be unlocked. And one of the things that we are always looking at is how do we make sure that we can build on the knowledge that we have in order to provide better um, advisory to you know our bankers as well as our service bankers. So I think that's somewhere to be watched and it's very exciting. Um, the other thing I would say from a digital you know data perspective is continuing looking at that analytics and being able to put it at the fingertips of our clients. I think we still haven't mastered that as well as we should. And that's something that I, I, I wanna see more of um, as well. And last but not least, of course, is digital assets. Um, you know, all of us are, you know, working through what that means for us from a banking perspective, and we're continuing to, you know, participate as well as partner, you know, with fintech as well as um, within, you know, our labs um, to look at what are that opportunities with our clients as well, Jim. So have you participated in any of the consortium around, say, blockchain trade finance or supply chain financing or some of these other uh, platforms or ideas? Yeah, we've been pretty active at it um, at our business level and technology level as well. And we continue to expect ourselves to be so both in Asia as well as more globally as well. What works in that space? Because we hear a lot about sometimes with DLT being um, either it's it's an amazing thing if you can get everybody on it or uh, uh, or you could do the same thing with an Oracle relational database and, and, and uh, call it a day. Uh, what, what's your take on when it works and when it doesn't? You know, I do think it requires a whole ecosystem. So it is absolutely something we should get into, but you know, are we 100% fully sort of adopted to it? Not yet, but it's just like any emerging technologies that we have as well. We shouldn't be opting out of it. We need to be thoughtful about how we introduce it. And again, Jim, a lot of the times when we think about it, it's with our new products or new services, because that's our good way of introducing it, having a pilot, actually getting feedback and make that an agile process for us as well as we go through the implementation. Uh, and then the last one on this particular point, tokenization. So creating uh, virtual assets from start to finish that are you know the same as a bond or a, or a stock uh, or a structured product, but they're they just live on a, a blockchain rail. That's that's new, in the sense that you're creating a new way of issuing, creating, and distributing securities. At the same time, you're it's very old because you're taking the classic business and you're you're changing the format. So would that be how would you? How would you conceive of something like that? Is that something where you guys are going to be trying to drive that? Or do you need to see more ecosystem development and maturity before that becomes relevant for a player like City? 
Absolutely the latter. Um, but, you know, of course, we're staying in touch. We're making sure we're talking to our clients because at City, everything revolves around our clients. We're not just going to create, you know, a product or services if there is no need or if there is, you know, uh, a limited appetite from a client perspective. But we're very much in touch with our clients and making sure we hear their feedback, you know, listen to them and also providing them our advisories also. 5G. Um, are again, is this uh, early days for thinking about what this could mean and the way it could be applied? Yes, I think so. Um, but I think we will see it coming very, very quickly. So I think we should stay tuned and uh, and the accelerations. Once we really get back into normalizing, you know, a normalized world, I think things are going to continue to move really quickly. Is there any initial areas of the bank? Uh, that 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 kind of mobile speed and and bandwidth has any obvious potentiality? Um, I think that from our you know sort of wealth you know spectrum perspective, you know we've always put everything on our mobile, and I would imagine it would only accelerate it. And so everything it's going to be you know at our at our fingertips, literally, and much more so than ever. And and last one on this like. Uh, Last one here, Stacey. Um, IoT, Internet of Things, um, is that playing a part yet in, in the world of finance and banking? I would say that one is waiting to be watched. Um, we are absolutely interested in it, but it's also something that we need to just, you know, be a little bit watchful and purposeful and thoughtful about it. Great. Last thing, um, talent, uh, always a struggle, um, but how are you, what, what has to happen for somebody in your team uh, if they want to succeed? Uh, what are the kind of skill sets that they're going to need uh, now and in the future? Yeah, talent is everything, um, you know, for us from a city perspective. Number one is make sure we are always learning and make sure we're always unlearning so we can learn new skills because all of us know with digitization, you know, it's taking multiple folds in all of the, you know, the knowledge that we need to have. Um, two is stay curious because when we're curious, we are going to continue to find new ways of doing things and new products and new services that we're gonna you know, support our clients. And then the third thing, and I do that to a lot of my technologists is stay technical. Um, you know, it's no longer you know, a worry if you only know old tech because there's no old tech, everything is new tech every you know, 15, 24 months. And so how do we make sure we reinvent ourselves and have the right skill set um, for us to continue to progress in our career is going to be critically important. It's very difficult for businesses across the spectrum, not just banks, to find good engineering talent. Uh, costs are sort of going through the roof, I think. Um, any tips on how you're trying to manage that? It's very important from a, you know, city perspective and, you know, in my organization that technology and operations is to making sure that our colleagues feel empowered and that they can innovate and that they've got the space to grow. And, you know, at City, for example, I've been here for 25 years. It's been a career of a lifetime. I have gotten to do very different things and we all want that for our employees and our colleagues as well. Is there, last question for you, Stacey, a little bit speculative. Is there a point where you see a major global bank um, of the caliber of City being run by a, a technologist? Why not, Jen? <laughs> not there yet. Sooner than we all think, and uh, maybe. Maybe. Okay, great. 
Um, look, Stacey, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. Thank you, Jam, and it's a delight to be here. Take care.